I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A young woman's whole life changes after she's pressured by investigators to give her DNA in a missing child cold case. This is the Miche Solomon story. Happy New Year, Megan. Happy New Year. As we said, no resolutions for us, right? (laughs) You actually had one that I thought was really easy to keep. What was it? Like, we're just going to keep making good content or something like not easy to keep, but, you know, something realistic. But yes, no, no uh, other resolutions. Nope. Not letting myself down. (laughs) I like goals that are attainable. So we're just going to continue doing the show and keep on. We're going to keep on doing the show. We're going to keep on doing better on the show, I hope. That's that's definitely a resolution. Keep on making good content. I agree. I'm super excited about this case, Megan, because this is different than any case we've ever covered. And we have how many episodes now? Over 100 episodes. So oh, yeah. it's hard to find a unique case. But how did, you, how did you find it? Just out of curiosity. I haven't heard of it before. This was a case that was suggested by our listeners. You know, I have my long list. Yeah. And I was going through and just, you know, I do a quick Google search. And I, once I got to this case, I was like, oh, yeah. And then I saw that there was a memoir. And, you know, oh. whenever there's a memoir, I'm all in. You're in. So, yes. So those are two reasons why I chose this case. Okay. And as you'll see, it's, you know, it brings up some really interesting questions. I can't wait. Miche Solomon was born on April 28th, 1997 in Cape Town, South Africa. Her parents were Livonia and Michael. Livonia was a seamstress and Michael an electrician. Miche had an older brother named Gerald, but he was actually her cousin. So Livonia's sister couldn't care for her child, so the family took him in. 
He was about 10 years older than Mache, but they were a really close-knit, healthy family, and they provided Mache with a full and loving home. And one could speculate that this loving home may have been due to Mache's mother, Livonia, because she had suffered a lot of trauma in her life, and she wanted to make a better life for her daughter. Now, Livonia was one of seven children, and she had been the primary caregiver for her siblings for many years. And before she met Michael, she was a teenage bride to a man who was extremely abusive to her. In addition to this abusive relationship, at age 16, Livonia had a daughter who tragically died. Cause unknown, but seemingly it was a SIDS-related death. And this was very hard for Livonia, as it would be hard for anyone. And in addition to that, she suffered many miscarriages. And she was told by doctors that carrying a child to term would be difficult, if not impossible, for her. And she was told this both before Miche and after Miche. So, you know, you would think this is like a miracle baby. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, so Mache's parents also endured a rocky start to their relationship. Livonia was about four years older than Michael, and they were both seeing other people when they first got together. Michael had a daughter from a previous relationship. He also had some substance use issues that eventually subsided. Now, when Livonia became pregnant with Mache, the two became exclusive. Remember, I said they were seeing other people, but Mm -hmm. this pregnancy really joined the couple together. And although they didn't get married until Mache was about two years old, they were in a committed relationship once the pregnancy was revealed. Now, this family resided in a suburb of Cape Town. They had moved a few times as Mache was growing up, but they were always in the same general area. Mache reports that her parents were always there for her, and she had an especially close relationship with her father. When Miche was 13, she had suffered from meningitis, and she says her father did not leave her side. And actually, remember I said her father's substance use had subsided at some point? Yeah. The reason it did is because when Miche was in the hospital sick, he made a deal with God that if his daughter could get through this, he would never drink again. And he said he had not touched alcohol since that time. Wow. Now, Miche was an excellent student. She had many friends, and she went to several good schools. Academics were extremely important to her family. At the start of high school, she started dating a boy named Eric. Now, Eric was about four years older than her. The two had spent a ton of time together. They got along very well and had a very healthy, loving relationship. So overall, everything in Miche's life seemed to be going as perfect as possible for a teenage girl. But in 2015, events would unfold that would change the entire trajectory of her life. At the beginning of the school year, one of Miche's classmates noted that there was a new girl in eighth grade who looked exactly like Miche so close that they could be sisters. And everyone just assumed it was Miche's younger sister. However, Miche did not have a younger sister. So this girl was Cassidy Nurse. And many other students and even a few teachers began saying the same thing. Cassidy Nurse looked almost identical to Miche Solomon. So Miche decided she had to meet this girl who looked just like her. And when she met her, she too couldn't deny how similar the two looked. You could even see a picture online of these two. Oh, well, of course I'm going to. Now, Cassidy and Miche clicked, and they became fast friends. It was more like a big sister-little sister relationship, because as I mentioned, Miche was four years her senior. But Miche says she felt for Cassidy because Cassidy's home life was very tragic. Cassidy's parents had had a child before her, a daughter, who had tragically been kidnapped 17 years ago, and no one had ever found out what happened to her. Now, this kidnapping, as we could expect, put an enormous strain on her parents' marriage, And at the time that Mache and Cassidy met, her parents were going through a very contentious divorce. Wait, hold on. I'm sorry. You said that Cassidy had a sister who was kidnapped? Yes. So before Cassidy was born, her parents had had another child 
who was kidnapped. So that was a big part of Cassidy's life and a big yeah. point of contention for her parents because that puts a big strain on a marriage. Well, a lot of couples don't survive that kind of you know thing, losing a child, and uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah, and they didn't. I mean, and this is a lot for an eighth grader to, to be dealing with. So Mache did her best to help her new friend cope. Again, she was like a big sister figure, and she felt really bad because Mache's home life was idyllic. And, you know, she felt bad that her friend was struggling so much. One day, Cassidy's father, Mornay, picked up his daughter from school and saw her sitting with Miche. Now, he took a strong interest in Miche, and he started asking her some questions about her upbringing, which Miche figured, you know, he's probably just interested in who his daughter's hanging out with, right? But every time he picked up Cassidy, he would continue to ask Miche questions about her childhood. And on one occasion in particular, Mornay showed up and asked Miche more and more personal questions about her family. I think I know where we're going. Uh, He was also on the phone with someone who was listening to her answers. And at one point, he asked Miche if he could see a photo of her parents. And so Miche provided a picture. And Mornay's response was, you look nothing like your parents. And... He says eerily that she looked exactly like his ex-wife and Cassidy's mother, Celeste. Wow. Okay, so where's this going? I'm sure a lot of people have an idea. I definitely know where you're going with this one. Okay. Now, Mache thought nothing of this at the time, and why would she? She just thought Mornay was a bit strange and maybe a little creepy and weird. She's a high school girl and this older man's taking an interest in her. But events would start spiraling far beyond anything she could have imagined. So a few days after she showed Cassidy's father her family photo, Mache was called to the principal's office at school. And she couldn't imagine why. I mean, she never got in trouble. She knew she didn't do anything wrong. And her friends were kind of teasing her like, ooh, you're going to the principal. But she wasn't worried because she had nothing to be worried about. Now, when she got to the office, there were two females along with the principal. They quickly informed her that Cassidy's older sister, you know, the baby who had been kidnapped from the nurse family in April of 1997, was actually Miche. Her real name was not Miche Solomon. It was Zephanie Nurse, and she had been stolen from a hospital two days after she'd been born. Wow. Unbelievable. So her mother faked her pregnancy? Well, we're going to go through all of okay. the details about how this unfolded. Okay. And by the way, I could not help myself during this. I looked at the photos. Oh, my gosh. It's uncanny. Right? Two look like twins. Yeah. So needless to say, Miche was shocked, but she was also extremely angry because she was like, what? What is going on? This isn't possible. Of course. So they asked her for her place of birth and her date of birth. And when she told them, they informed her that there was absolutely no record of a Miche Solomon being born on that date in that place. They also wanted her to give a DNA sample so that they could confirm that she was, in fact, the child of Mornay and Celeste Nurse. So South Africa does not require parental consent for people 17 and over to give DNA. So at this time, she was 17, so she was able to consent herself. And she complied because she was like, okay, this is clearly a big misunderstanding. So let's just get this over with so I could go back to my life. Right. While Miche was having this bomb dropped on her, a formal investigation was underway and her family was being questioned by authorities. Now, they did not allow Miche to communicate or see her parents at all during this time. Now, Miche reported feeling so lost. Miche thought that she was being pulled into Cassidy's family drama. Because remember, Cassidy had told her all about the kidnapped child. And Miche figured that since the two looked alike, everyone was just assuming that they were related. Yeah. And she thought this was just, she thought it was obnoxious that just because I look like this girl, like, don't involve me in her family's drama. Mm -hmm. Now, she demanded to see her family and to be left alone. But unfortunately, 
She was taken to a safe house and assigned a social worker to help her. Now, she was not allowed to call her family, her boyfriend, friends, nobody. Now, luckily, the social worker she was assigned to, she ended up having a very strong relationship with. So that was good. But, you know, Miche really missed her family. Of course. You know, she could not understand why she was not allowed to contact them. Well, she's a 17-year-old, and this is the only family that she's known. That's really traumatic. And as I said, she couldn't call her boyfriend, friends. She had zero support. Meanwhile, police arrived at Livonia and Michael's home to question them. Now, Michael was at work, and he was shocked when Livonia called him to say that the police were there asking for information about the Zephanie nurse case. So was the kidnapping of Zephanie well-known around the area? Would Livonia and Michael have even known about the case? How well-publicized was it? So it was very well-publicized. They lived in the same area, and ironically enough, a family member— of the nurse family lived on the same block as the Solomon family at one point. So this case was very well known, but nobody in Miche's family thought much of it other than, you know, this tragic case. So Michael ended up being able to visit Miche at the safe house. He had to do so under the surveillance of an officer. And the two commiserated about how ludicrous this situation was. Now, Michael was not allowed to take Miche home with him. After the visit, and he was not allowed to speak to Livonia, and Mache could not speak to Livonia. So at some point, it became very clear that Livonia was the person of interest here, and Michael had no idea what was going on. Yeah. However, you know, Livonia and Michael cooperated with investigators, and they did provide their DNA. But unfortunately for the Solomon family, the results came back and confirmed 100% that Mache was, in fact, Zephanie Nurse. Yeah, I had a feeling we were going in that direction. I'm also very, very curious as to how Livonia pulled this off. I've heard of a couple other cases in which women were, you know, Mm -hmm. able to um, fake pregnancy for this long of a period uh, time. But I never I've never understood how that's possible. I promise you we're we're almost there. (laughs) All right. I'll stop. And we've we've had other cases. We did remember the Marlene Ochoa Lopez case. Yes. There was a woman in that case who faked a pregnancy Also, yes, if you recall. Yes. Anyway, back to Miche's case. So as devastating as this news was for Miche and her parents, investigators were thrilled because they were some of the detectives on this case had been working on it for the last 17 years. And to them, the case was finally solved. And of course, the nurse family, when they were informed, they were beyond shocked and thankful that not only had Zephanie been found, but she was going to school with Cassidy and lived in the same area as them. This was the best-case scenario for a family who maybe thought that their child was no longer alive. So from an investigative perspective, this was cut and dry. But for Miche, it blew her life into a thousand pieces. Of course. On the day that the DNA results came back affirming her real identity, Miche said, quote, Inside me, everything went dark. It was like the world went black. And what is going to happen now? So what happened was her mother, as she knew, Livonia, was arrested And quite shocking to many, she was very calm and professed her innocence as she was taken to jail. Now, as I mentioned, it's unclear exactly what evidence they had and why Michael was cleared early on, but later interviews would provide some details. So Livonia had, in fact, been pregnant in 1997, but she had miscarried. So when she miscarried, she didn't tell Michael, and she continued on with the, quote, pregnancy. Now, some might be quick to judge and ask how could someone have faked a full pregnancy, but women all carry differently, and Livonia was a heavier set woman, so perhaps it wasn't as obvious if she was or was not pregnant. Oh. 
Also, we don't know the nature of Livonia and Michael's relationship at the time. We don't know exactly. I do know that Michael worked long hours. It's possible if she was, like I said, a heavier set woman, right. maybe he wasn't able to tell. But I also think that, it, why would you ever think to question your wife? If she says she's pregnant, why would you ever question it? No, I guess my my thought was just to the actual physical appearance, but I hadn't considered that. Yes, if someone is a heavier set women, woman or someone possibly has, you know, um, a yeah. larger stomach or whatnot. My, I was thinking in my mm-hmm. head, of course, all those pictures of women who I see who, you know, show their bellies or, you know, your partner wants mm-hmm. to see your, your belly. So yeah. I was thinking, how would you fake that? But yeah, I guess that makes sense if you physically, you know, already kind of fit the part. If you recall, they weren't exclusive until she got pregnant. So perhaps she thought Uh that Michael would leave her if she found out she had a miscarriage, which is very unfortunate. She had suffered several miscarriages prior to this, and and she also lost an infant. So, you know, it's clear that she really wanted a pregnancy to work out. Yes. In any event, everyone thought she was pregnant, and Livonia, quote, gave birth— when Michael was at work. So he just came home one day and had a beautiful baby girl, and he had no reason to think anything nefarious was going on. Right. How is Mache feeling about all of this at, at this point? So she could not wrap her head around any of this information. To her, her mother was everything, and she had always been loving. And as Mache says, she was the, quote, absolute best mom, not a criminal. So she just could not make any sense of it. Now, on the same day her mother was arrested, so Mache's dealing with this, Mache's birth parents wanted to meet her. So could you imagine all of this happening at age 17? Your whole life you thought your parents were your parents, only to find out everything was a lie, and now strangers want to meet you. And it seems like there was no empathy or support for Mache. Oh, poor girl, yeah. You can understand, of course, the parents' excitement at finding their long-lost child, but, Mm -hmm. you know, her confusion, her anger. And I have no doubt that her mother, not her birth mother, but Livonia, I have no doubt that she was probably a good mother. I mean, it seemed like all she Mm -hmm. wanted was a child. So when she got that child, I'm I'm sure that she doted on her and and devoted her life to her. Now, Mache was reluctant to meet her birth parents, but she also says she understood that this was important to them. So she went ahead with the meeting. But she said she felt absolutely nothing when they hugged her. To them, this was their lost child who they have been searching for. But to her, they were just strangers who basically destroyed her life by taking her mother away. Right. Now, after a few weeks of living in the safe house, she did also go to live with her social worker that I told you she became very close with. Mm -hmm. Michelle was given the choice which family she'd like to go live with, the nurse family or the Solomon family. Ah. Now, not Livonia. Livonia was in prison, but it was either go live with the nurse family or go live with Michael. Who do you think she chose? Michael. Yeah, so she she doted on her father, and these other people were strangers to her. Now, Michael was very supportive, and he really helped try to foster a relationship between Miche and the nurse family. But Miche was really resistant because, again, because of this family, her mother was taken away from her. So meanwhile, Livonia awaited trial, and Miche, again, was not allowed to see her or talk to her at all. Michael was allowed to visit Livonia in jail, but they were not allowed to discuss the case at all. So at this point, neither Miche or Michael knew anything about the miscarriage and the false pregnancy that had occurred in 1997. They were still fully in the dark, thinking that this is somehow a big misunderstanding. Okay. So Livonia sat in jail for about a year awaiting trial. Now, do you think Livonia took the stand at her trial? Yes. Why do you think so? 
I don't know. I don't know if it's because she's defiant or because she has to be sympathetic. So it could be either one. She's either totally defiant about it or she's got to get up there and, and garner a lot of sympathy because she was a woman who had suffered so much loss and tragedy and all she wanted was a child. But I do think she took the stand. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right, because I don't think in a case like this, she really had a choice because what other you know, it's almost like a self-defense. Like when you claim self-defense, you have to tell the story or else, you know, she has to say something. Were there any claims of insanity or mental illness? None at all. Okay. So according to her testimony, soon after she miscarried, she was approached by a woman named Sylvia. Now, this woman told Livonia that she provided services to women who had trouble conceiving and carrying. Now, according to Livonia, Sylvia said that she connected these types of women to families who could not provide for their children and essentially wanted to give up their baby. Oh. Basically, it's a black market adoption agency. No oversight and incredibly expensive preying on vulnerable women. So who who's this woman, Sylvia? Were they able was she able to was there any a proof or substantiation that she existed? Now this is the problem. Okay. So Lavonia said she only knew or only remembered the woman's first name, didn't remember the last name, no other information. She says she exchanged money with Sylvia and in exchange she got a newborn baby girl who she named Mache. Now according to Lavonia Sylvia said that she would provide her with a birth certificate and proper paperwork at a later date. And according to Livonia, six years later, she did get a birth certificate. But there was no known adoption papers. And it's unclear if this birth certificate was faked or if it ceased to exist. Bottom line, Livonia's defense was that she never stole Mache. She had adopted her in what she thinks was a, a legitimate adoption. But it doesn't seem like there's any proof whatsoever to support that. So, I mean, is there any proof or is there any evidence of like Livonia? Did she um, did she work in a hospital or near one or did she have any access that we know of? So let's discuss the actual events that happened after Celeste gave birth to her baby girl, Zephanie, on April 28th, 1997. OK, because. There's a few questions here, right? So several, you know, was the nurse family lying about their baby being kidnapped? Did Livonia know that the baby she loved had been stolen? Did she herself steal the baby? Oh There's so many possibilities. So many questions. So Celeste recalls that Zephanie was born by C-section and both the baby and herself were doing very well. Now, the night after the birth, Celeste was awoken to a woman who she thought was a nurse. Now, this woman was dressed like a nurse and she was comforting her new baby. So Celeste, like any new mother, probably thought, you know, Zephanie was in good hands and she just dozed off back to sleep. Now, when she awoke, the baby was gone. So she immediately panicked and everyone was looking for her baby. Now, there was a tunnel leading from the street directly to the maternity ward in this hospital. And although that seems strange, it does make sense because the purpose of this was for women who were in labor to have easy access to the to the hospital. So... When canvassing the area, investigators found a few items of interest in this tunnel. They found a baby bassinet, a pillow, and a handbag with no identifiable information. In the handbag, they found a nurse's uniform. So what do you think this pillow was used for? To appear pregnant as, as a pregnancy bump on, on the stomach. So it appears, it, it's pretty clear what happens here. You have this person going into the maternity ward. Yep. Um, feigning a pregnancy. Yep. And then stash through the pillow at some point maybe on the way out but they changed their clothes into a nurse's outfit and then changed back into street clothes on the way out and 
you know, left with the baby. I mean, it's a clever scheme. What year was this again, Amy? 1997. Not that long ago. But still probably before lots of surveillance cameras and all of that, you know, still a little early on that end. So another mother on the unit at the time of Zephanie's birth and kidnapping and abduction recalled that there was that she saw a woman dressed as a nurse coming into her room and this woman held her baby as well. Now, in this situation, the mother had asked to take the baby to hold the baby herself and the mysterious woman quickly left. Now, this baby would have likely been the victim if that mother was asleep. Right. Now, it is important to note that this was the only eyewitness And this eyewitness did not select Livonia out of a lineup. But this was 17 years later. It was dark. I mean, the woman had just given birth. Even if the lineup had happened right after, she might not have been able to identify her given the conditions. But 17 years later there, I would think it would be near impossible. Yeah. And, you know, 20 years later, she'd look very different. I mean, the way I see it at this point, Megan, there's two possibilities. Either that nurse is this woman, Sylvia, Mm -hmm. who's stealing the baby, Mm -hmm. or this person dressed up as a nurse is Livonia stealing the baby herself. And that's really where the question lies. So at this time, unfortunately for the nurse family, the case quickly went cold and weeks turned to years with absolutely no suspects and no signs of Zephanie. There were two occasions of false hope, as we often see in these cases, people coming forward claiming they have information as a way to extort money from a grieving family. Gross. Yeah. So over the years, unfortunately, the nurse family were the target of some of these extortion plots. Okay, so in order to figure out, you know, if there's a Sylvia or if it's just a Livonia, I have a question. Were there other reported kidnappings from this hospital or around the area at the time? Like, were there other missing children? Was she one of, you know, a kind of a cohort or at least a couple? No, which, as I'll say later, leads me towards Livonia, because if Sylvia was doing this, then you would think this was like a whole business for her. I also wouldn't think that someone who is providing an adoption would wait six years to provide a birth certificate. I find that wholly unbelievable. Yeah. And I think there was a reason why she had to say that story because she was seen in some area because at some point she probably knew she needed to provide documentation. Sure. uh, For her daughter. And she needed, you know, in order to get health care, school, everything else. So from what I would imagine that she did get some sort of birth certificate off the black market in some way. And Mm -hmm. she was trying to make it seem like part of the story. Yep. So again, the nurse family had to live without their child. Every year on Stephanie's birthday, they would hold an event to keep the story alive in the public and in the media. And this is where things get interesting because they did not live that far from each other. Now, remember I mentioned that Miche's family had recently moved to this new area? Yes. The school in which Cassidy and her would eventually be in. But from what I understand, I don't know the geography of... South Africa very well and the area they lived in. But it seemed to me that they were moving to like different suburbs. So maybe it's like if you think of it where we live, like maybe it's like South Jersey, then North Jersey, maybe then Hoboken. So they were in similar areas, but moving around a lot. So it is possible. Did Livonia see these news reports? Was this making her nervous? Did she not even realize that the the baby she had was Zephanie nurse? Uh, Well, and Yeah. Okay. This reminds me of a, um, it was a fictional movie I saw, but have you ever seen The Deep End of the Ocean with Michelle Pfeiffer? And um, no, you know, I've never seen anything. Sorry. It was a very similar story in which there was, they had a child who was kidnapped and it turned out that the child was residing just a couple blocks away for years. And the siblings kind of found each other or, you know, 
in some ways. Uh, it was fictional, but it stood. It stayed with me forever for some reason. That story and this this is mm. like a real life account of this happening. It's almost unbelievable. Yeah. And the nurse family often spoke to the media over the years. Usually, when there was another kidnapping, they would appear and talk to the media. And they absolutely never gave up hope. And they did feel in their heart that Stephanie was alive. Mm -hmm. Well, they were right. And since the nurses had been working with the media throughout the past 17 years, it's no surprise at all that Livonia's trial was followed very closely by many big news outlets. And for the privacy of the baby, Mache, Mache's identity was not publicly released, but the ordeal was heavily covered by the media. So if you look at old reports, it'll say the kidnapped baby. It doesn't say who this baby was for a while. Everything was private because obviously if they exposed Livonia, people could have figured out who the baby was. I imagine that Mache wasn't allowed to see Livonia, but maybe also because of her age. I mean, like at a certain age when she's an adult, can she choose to see her even if even if she's the, you know, victim? Victims can choose to see their offenders when, you know, if they want if they want to in certain situations. So I wonder what how that would change with her age. Well, I think that's a good point, but it wasn't her age as much as the fact that the case was still ongoing. Mm -hmm. So about a year after this initial DNA confirmation, Livonia was sentenced to 10 years in prison for kidnapping, fraud, and for violating the Children's Act. Now, the Children's Act in South Africa focuses on the well-being of children, and it's one of these acts that's in place to ensure that the mistreatment of children is made known to relevant authorities and taken seriously. So the jury didn't believe her story about Sylvia. The, no, it, it did not seem that people believed her. And in fact, the judge was really critical of Livonia and said that Livonia showed no remorse at all for stealing another woman's child. So it seems like people really believe that Livonia was the woman that dressed up as a nurse and actually stole the child. And the judge was angered that she wasn't coming clean about it. Mm -hmm. All the while, though, Mache believed that her mother adopted her. She did not believe that her mother oh. kidnapped her or abducted her. She believed that she believed her mother's story. Okay. So you you asked before, once the sentencing happened, Mache was able to visit her mother and, you know, stood by her mother. So as Livonia went to prison, Mache fought for her identity because she did not like the fact that there was a restriction on the publication of her name. She wanted people to know. So she applied to lift the ban wow. that restricted her identity coming out. So it did take almost four years. But on August 13th, 2019, her request was granted and the world was finally able to know who she was. So hours after the ban was lifted, Miche announced her book entitled Zephanie, Two Mothers, One Daughter, An Astonishing True Story. Now, this would soon be released and it would finally give her the chance to tell her side of the story. It was written by an author, Joanne Jowell, but with Miche having, you know, 100% control over the narrative. And this is a must read and where I got most of the information for today's episode. So not surprisingly, Miche had a very difficult time adjusting to life after the trial. She says she has severe trust issues. She did stay in a relationship with her high school boyfriend throughout this whole ordeal. And the two had a daughter together soon after graduating high school. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for Mache, though, soon after the birth of her child, she found out that her boyfriend was married to another woman. What? So as if she didn't already have trust issues. Ugh. How, how horrible is that? That's awful. She also reports that several people that she had trusted and confided in during the time of the trial leaked information to the media. So she was feeling obviously betrayed by 
her family or by her birth family, by her real family, you know, by her boyfriend. But despite everything that happened, Mache continued and continues to this day to have a very close relationship with Livonia and visits her often in prison. She also has tried to keep a relationship with the nurse family, but says she doesn't feel a connection and has even said some negative things about them publicly. Mache is now 25 and she has two children of her own and she is engaged and she's working as a child advocate. Mm. So it's really nice to see that she went into a field to help other children. Absolutely. She says that both Michael and Mornay will walk her down the aisle at her wedding. Oh, okay. Well, that that is interesting. Yeah. That's an interesting turn that she at least feels that kind of bond or that close or, you know, she feels she feels something that she wants to have both fathers involved. For some reason, she seems a bit more critical of Celeste, her birth mother, than of Michael, her father. I'm not, you know, not exactly sure why, but obviously we can't know everything that has transpired. You can't, but them. I would guess it's because, you know, Livonia was her mother and her mother was taken. So perhaps she sees that, you know, her more as a threat. Miche also recently participated in a documentary called Girl Taken. And unfortunately, I could not access it. It did run in local theaters in Cape Town and Johannesburg. And it is also streaming on Paramount Plus, but only in the UK and Germany. Ugh. So some of our listeners from these areas, I hope you will check it out and let us know about it. And hopefully we'll get it eventually to stream over here oh, in the I United hope so. States. So you just disappointed me. I know. I just want to read a quote by Zephanie. She says, Zephanie is the truth. And Miche, the 17-year-old girl that I was, she was a lie. So I've managed to balance both names. You can call me Zephanie or Miche. When I first started this case, you might have noticed on our episode production list, it said Zephanie Nurse. Yes. But as I started researching the case, it seemed like it was more fair to call her Miche Solomon because yeah. that's who she was for most of her life. You know, she says she's okay with either name, but I did feel like Miche Solomon was a little more true to who she is. But you will see the story. If you Google the story, I think Zephanie Nurse will come up much more often because that's the name that was in the news. And remember, Miche's identity was hidden for a while. Right. In July of 2022, Livonia went up for parole, but she was denied on the ground that she needed further rehabilitative interventions. So she will have to wait until July of 2023 before being considered again. Now, if she gets denied parole again, she does have mandatory release in 2025. I was going to point that out. Yeah. So either way, she will be home soon. And Miche says she looks forward to being with her mother. And she, you know, really counts the days until her mother comes home. Okay, Megan. So we're starting to wind down here. So this case is clearly very complicated because as Miche says, her parents gave her a loving home and they were great parents. But that does not change the fact that Livonia committed a serious crime and deprived the nurse family of a life with their child. I don't see any evidence either, Amy, but I see no evidence that there was a Sylvia. So I'm in the absence of any evidence, I'm going to assume that it was Livonia. Let's assume that it was, in fact, Livonia. You know, what kind of theories can explain what she did? But more importantly, is the punishment sufficient is the punishment not enough? This is a very complicated case. Right. Theory-wise, it's, you know, we can go to the theory, but it seems very obvious to me there's two mo I think there's two motives. One is she absolutely wanted a child, okay? That is the motive of the, these women who steal children. It's because they cannot have one. They're desperate. They really want a child. And, you know, it, it's the desperation of having a child that drives them to do this. I think in her case, it might have been a dual motive in that she wanted to also keep the relationship with Michael. I think she wanted to have the family. 
So, you know, having a child was the complete picture and that was the way to keep Michael and that was the way to fulfill the family dream. So I Mm -hmm. think, you know, the motivation to me is pretty clear. It almost seems like there's no winner here because, yes, the nurse family found their daughter. And I guess we can say justice was served. But at what cost? Right. So this is where we think about the ethics of justice and the point of justice in situations like this. Of course, Livonia needs to be punished, if not for, you know, just general deterrence to show people that it's not okay to take people's children and you will be punished if this happens. So I think it's important that she was punished. But if you think about it from, you know, the victim here, the victim, you could argue, was baby Zephanie because she was the one taken. And the victim, Mache slash Zephanie, would not have wanted punishment at all for Livonia. So it gets a little tricky. But we've talked about this before, whether the input of victims, how heavily should that weigh into prosecutorial decisions of charging and punishment? And as I've always said, I think they should consider a victim's point of view. However, in this case, the seriousness of the offense also might outweigh that. We are not talking about a menial offense here. We are talking about Mm -hmm. kidnapping child deprivation. This is one of the most serious offenses there is. And uh, frankly, I feel awful for Michelle because I I think she's absolutely a victim. But my instinct still tells me that Livonia wasn't punished enough. I was going to ask you that because 10 years. No, I think 10 years is very light for this type of situation, like a stranger abduction in which you've removed a child. I mean, that is very serious. I understand. I don't think I don't know. I think 10 years seems pretty light, especially with the option of parole for stealing another person's child. It's one of the ultimate crimes. What do you think? So I agree with you. I don't think the sentence is harsh enough, but I also think back to the evidence they have. And is it possible that she did, like adopting a baby on the black market is not, I I don't think people would say that is morally right either. But that's very different than physically abducting a baby from a hospital. So is there the possibility that there was a third party involved? It's possible. Sure. How honest do we think she is? How credible would she be as someone who then faked an entire pregnancy? Does that mean she committed the ultimate crime? No, but it also does strike her credibility and her, you know, penchant for truthfulness. I 100 percent agree. So I'm not sure that the system got it right, but this case is a little more complicated than the typical case. I don't think that Livonia is a danger to society. No. You know, so it's not one of those cases where it's, you know, we need to punish her for incapacitation for the purpose of safety. No, I don't think so either. Again, I think it really goes down to retribution and deterrence, general deterrence. It does go down to that. Mm -hmm. I also wonder why they say she's not rehabilitated. I wonder if there are aspects of her institutional behavior or if it's simply because she's not showing remorse. Yeah. Because if she's not remorseful and doesn't admit to it, they might interpret that to be, you know, that she's not rehabilitated. Yeah, yet. based on what the judge said at the sentencing about the lack of remorse, I'm think I'm wondering if they think she needs more rehabilitative interventions to come to terms with what she did, which, well, then she will show remorse. And she might be like many people that, Even if she didn't do it, so to speak, she might just feign remorse just so she can get paroled. Or she might not, right? I'm not sure. But as we mentioned, we've seen cases like this, and it's usually after the loss of a baby or the fear of a partner leaving. Mm -hmm. She does really closely fit the profile of women who commit these types of offenses. Oh, yeah. The good news is that—so first of all, I'm a little bit unclear of the statistics in South Africa— 
on abductions from hospitals. I wasn't able to find those, but as I mentioned, I did, you know, I found some information about how often this occurs in the United States. It doesn't occur that often. Right. Probably because of cases like this that have ignited change. So I know in the United States, more than 80 percent of hospitals now use elect- electronic tagging. So even when I had my children, mm-hmm. they got like it was it's almost like a, a bracelet when you're on home like arrest. A microchip? No, it's like when you're on house oh. arrest, it's like around your ankle, like an ankle bracelet. You said tagging. I was like, are they inserting microchips in babies? I got nervous. No, so basically it's like an alarm. If the baby's taken out, an alarm goes off. And in addition, the parents have a bracelet that you have to scan to make sure that it's matched to the correct baby. There's also a few other things. Like I don't know if you've noticed, but babies are only moved in bassinets, not in nurses' arms. Yes. And that's a policy that has come out of some of these unfortunate cases of newborn abductions. Right. Also, do you remember a lot of our younger listeners probably don't know this, but babies used to be kept in nurseries. Yes. You see this in old movies. Babies are now kept in the room with their mothers after birth. But years ago, you would see a nursery with just a bunch of babies. Like, you ever see Look Who's Talking in, like, that scene? Of course, of course. Where, like, the babies are crying, and he's like, my hands, where are my hands? Because he has, like, the mitts on. (laughs) Yes, that was a cute one. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't even think that I realized that there weren't nurseries anymore. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons is not only newborn abductions, but newborn mix-ups. There's some crazy stories of the wrong babies going home with people. And that's... yes. You know, and that's not necessarily a crime. It's just a colossal mistake. It's, yeah, it's it's a mistake that has far reaching implications. But obviously, it's a very different scenario than the one in which we are talking about here. Right. The last thing I want to ask you about, because I think this is very strange, but some commentators have criticized Miche's support of Livonia, likening it to Stockholm syndrome. So Stockholm syndrome is often described as a coping mechanism used by people who have been abducted as a way to sympathize and identify with their captor. I don't see that being relevant here nope. simply because Miche, Miche had did not know that she was being held captive. So I think it's a really poor application, and I it bothers me every time I read that. Uh, that bothers me as well, and I don't think anyone should criticize Miche for anything. Regardless, she is she was a victim. Um, she also grew up with a, you know, what she real, what she thought of as a very loving mother in a very loving home, and if she believes that her mother was also you know part of this, then that's her choice and her right, and people should respect that. I don't think anyone should be criticizing her, and I certainly won't be. I think she sounds like she's actually shown a great deal of maturity, and you know I think that she's faced to this probably better than most could, especially as a young yep. woman. She was definitely wise beyond her years, and. What she has gone through is incredible. The fact that she's now, you know, able to be a functioning member of society and still see both parents, you know, both families and have a career and be able to just move on and write this book. I think it's really commendable. And before we leave, I just want to say, I think this case highlights something important also that we don't often talk about. What is the emotional cost of solving a case? A lot of times people assume once a case is solved, then, you know, we can celebrate. But sometimes it's just not that simple and no. straightforward. No, I mean, this case definitely, you know, from an investigative point of view, great, we solved it. But from everyone else's point of view, a lot of complicated hurt feelings and long-term, you know, kind of recovery mm-hmm. to deal with. Yep. 
Amy, you were right in the beginning. This was one of the most unique and interesting cases I've ever heard. This one's going to stay with me. I really appreciate whoever suggested it and your coverage of this case today. All right. Thank you all so much for listening today. And before we go, I just want to give a little shout out and love to our good friend, Jillian Jalali and her new podcast, Civil. Oh my gosh, we love Jillian. And some of you might know her. She's the host of Court Junkie, a podcast we also love. And now she's bringing us Civil. I'm just so excited to start binging this one. So much love to you, Jillian. And we look forward to your new work. And we will catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash women in crime. Sources for today's episode include BBC, News24.com, the Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and Zephanie, Two Mothers, One Daughter, An Astonishing True Story by Joanne Jowell. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.